John 8, so Jesus has been, it, for us, it's been like three weeks. He's, this is the last day of the Festival of Tabernacles. He's speaking. Is that better? He's speaking down there in the court of women, that lower square. He's talking to a Jewish audience, men and women. And, and what he's trying to get them to see is, so Jesus is speaking to these people. He's trying to get them to re- recognize and realize who he is. And he's not having a lot of success. And these are his people. These are Jews and it's, it's not a conversation. It's more argumentative than that. They, they kind of make a step towards him, and then they step back. Last week we saw there's some people who actually are beginning to believe that maybe he's the Messiah, but as soon as he invites them into deeper relationship and he challenges some of their beliefs, namely that their standing before God is based on the fact that they're Jews, not based on his work, his, their relationship with him, they, they reject him. And and so by the end, he's saying to these people who at, at the beginning of this conversation are somewhat open to him, maybe even believing in him. By the end, he's saying, you're children of the devil and you don't even belong to God. And he's saying that to Jews who are the chosen people. And so today we'll see how this conversation ends. The Jews responding to Jesus saying, you're children of the devil and uh, you don't even belong to God. So the Jews answered Jesus and said, aren't we right in saying this, that you're a Samaritan and that you're demon possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it, and he's the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. And you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said, and you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. There'll be some slides there up on the screen. It's just kind of my take on what's being said. We won't, you don't necessarily have to agree with that. What's going on here, again, it's just this back and forth, and everything is centered around Jesus' identity, and they're just not getting it. So, you know, he, I guess he insults them. He calls them children of the devil and says, you don't belong to God, so... Kind of you can put on your middle school hat and they insult him back. Well, you're a Samaritan who is a, a, a heretic, a half-breed, and you're demon-possessed, you're controlled and motivated by a demon. And Jesus says, you can't, be, you, you, can't, you can't be more wrong. I'm not possessed by a demon. I'm actually bringing honor to my father. I'm, I'm placing a high value on my father by living a life of obedience. He's already told him. Everything that I'm doing, I'm doing because I've seen the Father do it. And everything I'm telling you, it's things that I've heard in my Father's presence. So I'm actually placing a high value on Him, and you're placing a low value on me. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. That's what it means to glorify yourself. I'm not trying to make a name for myself, but my Father is trying to make a name for me, and He'll be the judge. He'll decide if what you're saying about me is right. He'll decide if I really am demon-possessed, if I really am a Samaritan, and then, and this is amazing to me, these people who are pushing him, they've just insulted him, he continues to extend an invitation to them. He sticks his hand out and says, hey, listen, if you'll obey my teaching, you'll never taste death. It's an invitation to life. 
and they misunderstand him. As we've seen throughout John, sometimes Jesus uses language that can be understood literally, and he means it spiritually, and these guys misunderstand him. They think he's talking about literal death. I don't know if they really believe that or if they're just looking for an excuse to reject Jesus, but that's what they grab onto, and they're like, not die, Abraham, he's the greatest guy we know. He's the father of our faith. He died. The prophets died. And you're telling us that if if we believe in you, we're not going to physically die? Who do you think you are? Or or literally, what are you making yourself out to be? And Jesus says, "I'm I'm not making myself out to be anything. If I was making myself out to be something, that you wouldn't need to believe me, that there's nothing to that. But my Father is making me out to be something, and, and my Father is your God. The one who you say is your God, he's the one who's making me out to be something. I know him, you don't, I do. And my life I'm living is, is in obedience to him. Last week we saw that they called themselves children of Abraham. Jesus actually disagrees and says, if you're one of Abraham's children, then you would act like him. And now he grabs onto that idea. All right, so Abraham's your father. Why don't you do what he did? When Abraham looked forward in faith to my day, to this time right now, he was really happy. He was thrilled. He was overjoyed. He looked forward to my day with joy. And you're rejecting me. How does Abraham look forward to Jesus' day Uh, You can read Hebrews 11 if you want to, verses 13 and 6 through 16. It talks about Abraham recognizing that uh, he didn't receive the fulfillment of God's promises. He received a partial fulfillment, but not not, uh, the, the fullness of those promises. And so he was looking forward to the day when the promises that God made to him, chiefly that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham's descendant. It's a singular word. The word is seed. It's a singular word. And And so Abraham looked forward to that seed, that descendant of his, through whom all of the nations of the earth would be blessed, and that's Jesus. He didn't know Jesus' name, but he knew God was faithful, and so there would be somebody in his lineage through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. And he was thrilled. He was overjoyed when he looked forward to that day. And Jesus is saying, that's now. I'm the fulfillment of that. If you're really one of Abraham's kids, then act like Abraham. And, and, and be happy, be overjoyed that I'm here in front of you. And then, again, they take him literally and they say, you're not even 50. Abraham lived 1,500 years ago. How could you have seen him? I, I think there's being dumb at that point. He's not saying that. They know he's not saying that. But they're looking for anything to, to use against him. They don't want to believe him. That's my opinion. You can disagree. I don't think they want to believe him. They're looking for reasons to reject That's just silly. He's not saying he was alive 1,500 years ago, but that's what they're saying. You're not even 50, so how did Abraham know you? And now, again, if if you have a microphone, this would be when you would drop it. What Jesus says to them is, I think he's exasperated. Maybe not. I think he is. And I think what he's saying is, listen, I've spent two, two and a half years trying to get you to see who I am. I've performed signs, and you didn't believe them. I've taught you, and you don't believe me. And so here it is. Before Abraham was, I am. If you go all the way back to Exodus 3, Moses is scared. God has said, hey, I want you to lead your people out of slavery. And Moses is coming up with all these reasons to say no. And one of them is, well, if I go, who am I supposed to say sent me? And in Exodus 3, chapter 14, uh, verse 14, um, God says, tell them I am sent you. I am is the name that God gives to Moses to reveal himself. 
That's my name. And Jesus just applied that to himself. Before Abraham was, I am. And they understand him correctly. And that's why they pick up rocks to throw at him. They believe he's blaspheming God. You're making yourself, you're using God's name. You're saying you're God and we know you're not. And so we're going to stone you because that's the penalty for blasphemy. And Jesus somehow slips away and he's hidden. We don't know. Throughout John, we've seen that dynamic. It's not the right time yet. His hour has not yet come, and so nobody can arrest him, nobody can touch him, and nobody can kill him. It's just not yet the right time for that. And so Jesus slips away from the crowds. So I I was reading that, and again, because we've looked at this one exchange over the course of maybe four weeks, three weeks for sure, it's easy to lose the thread and the force of it. What Jesus has been doing on this last day of the feast teaching in that court of women to the Jewish men and women, what he's trying to get them to recognize is who he is. He's given them an invitation. Come to me, all you who are thirsty, and drink. I'm the light of the world. If anyone who follows me never has to walk in darkness. If you believe in me, you won't taste death. If if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. That's both a warning and an invitation. And embedded in all of that is him saying, I'm I'm the Messiah. Those invitations are not credible otherwise. And he tries to tie who he is back to the Father, to God, that the, the, this God of the Jews, your God, the one who you're saying you follow, he's the one that sent me. Everything I'm saying I heard from him. Everything I'm doing is because, is it obedience to him? It's because he's told me to do it. He, and he's a witness. He'll, he'll vouch for me. He's trying whatever he can do to get them to recognize and realize who he is, and they just, they're unwilling. They're unwilling. Again, there there are times they take a step, maybe this is the Messiah, and then very quickly they retreat from that, particularly when he begins to challenge them at all about their belief system. And so finally, he just says as clearly as he can, I am, I am. That's a clear statement he can make in terms of saying, I am God. He uses God's name, applies it to himself, and they try to kill him. And so it made me wonder for us, how do we respond when Jesus reveals himself to us? What's our response to the truth of who Jesus is? Some of you have read Mere Christianity. It's a classic by C.S. Lewis, and this is what he says. I think this passage made me think of it. I'm trying here in this book to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, and that really foolish thing is I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who's saying he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either Jesus was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut Jesus up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So to the Jews' credit, they're they're kind of tracking there. What C.S. Lewis is saying is Jesus claimed to be God. And we just saw that. He said, I'm God. So either he's right, and he is God, and we worship him. Or he's not God, but he thought he was, 
which makes him crazy. Or he's not God, he knows he's not God, then he says he is anyway, which makes him a liar. Those are your choices. That's it. And the Jews understood Jesus was saying, I'm God, and they didn't believe him. And so they said, we're going to kill you because you've just blasphemed. How do you respond to the revelation, the truth of who Jesus is? Some of you may still, you may be new to all this. You may be new to a church, new to the New Testament, new to Jesus. And I would say, keep exploring. If you're not quite sure, keep, keep digging. Read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They're the best record of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what Jesus did. They're the best we have. And I would encourage you to read those things prayerfully. Whatever amount of faith you have in God, it may be super small. You may be even unsure if God exists, but you can just pray this, God, if you exist, and if Jesus is truly your son, I need you to show me in a way that I can understand. And if you pray that prayer honestly, I believe God will answer it, if you pray it honestly. Now, just know when you pray that prayer that he will reveal Jesus to you, and you're going to have to make a decision at some point. So that's, that's what you're setting yourself up for. But if you truly want to know, he'll answer that prayer for you, and he will reveal Jesus to you in a way that you can understand. Many of you, you've already decided. You're like, he's the Lord. I've, I, I, I recognize that. At some point in my life, I realize that Jesus is who he claims to be. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God, and, I've, I, and I'm following him. I've chosen to put my faith in him, my trust in him. I recognize that because of his life and his death and his resurrection, my sins have been forgiven, that I'm reconciled to the Father, and that I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to die spiritually. I may die physically, but I'm not going to die spiritually. And that's wonderful. And I would say that's a great first step. And hear this reverently. Jesus is more than your Savior. He's your Savior, but he's more than your Savior. He, he forgives you of your sins, but there's, there's more to him and more to the relationship that he wants with us than just that. It's not nothing. It's incredibly significant. But it's not the whole story and the whole picture. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning. If you've already said yes to Jesus as your Savior... We talked last week that Jesus sets us free from the penalty of sin, which is death, and the power of sin, which is this compulsion to choose against, against God. He sets us free from those things, and many of you have already said yes, and he is that to me. He saved me from my sin, the penalty and the power of that in my life. I want to encourage you and challenge you to say there's more. There's more of who Jesus is than simply your Savior, and he desires to be more to you, the issue for many of us is, is we, we don't, we're not pursuing him in terms of revelation of who he is. We, they're blanks, and, and, and we're filling them in instead of having Jesus fill them in for us. It's almost like we create him in our own image. We, we make this caricature of, of who Jesus is. And, and a lot of it, honestly, and don't, don't feel guilty about this, is we don't spend a ton of time reading the New Testament in particular, and that's the clearest revelation of who Jesus is. And so absent that, we just kind of make up our own just over time. We kind of fill in the blanks. Jesus is my Savior, I know, but then we don't know very much else about him. And so we just, a lot of times it's even unconscious. We just start painting a picture of who he is. Maybe there's some other voices that are strong in our life and that shapes our understanding of who Jesus is and maybe those voices are true and maybe they're not, but we're not getting any firsthand data. And so we, we get kind of stunted in our growth in terms of understanding who Jesus is and fully 
submitting to him. And there's some silly things that, that people pick up on, and maybe you can discern these. It's popular in some circles in our culture. Some people have political Jesus, whether he's a Republican, you know, and he's for small government and low taxes, or he's a Democrat and he's trying to legalize marijuana and watches MSNBC. And, and we, that's silly. But you know people, and maybe you're one of those people who you, you truly believe Jesus has carrying the flags of one of those political parties, and he's not. The only thing he says about the government is give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. That's his political statement that he makes during his time on earth. But he gets co-opted by both parties all the time. And so it's easy for us to begin to think that Jesus would just watch Fox News or Again, or just watch MSNBC. Sometimes we see Jesus as a hippie, and he just wants everybody to get along, and he's really sweet and nice, and he wears tie-dyed clothes, and at the end, everybody's going to be okay because he's just this really laid-back guy. Or some people see him as this Sunday school Jesus, and he's super sweet, and he's gentle, and he would never ask you to do anything you don't want to do, and he would never challenge you, and he certainly would never lead you in a direction that may cause you discomfort because that's just not very nice of him. Some people see Jesus, he's a cool guy. He wears flannel and he drinks craft beer and maybe he cusses a little because he's free and that's smokes cigars or whatever. And some people see him that way and others see him much more as this kind of buttoned up CEO who's a driver and he's got a goal in mind and everything's about where he's headed and you kind of get on board or you get out of the way. Other people see Jesus you know, he's beautiful, his hair's blowing in the wind, and he's your boyfriend, and he just wants to gaze deeply into your eyes and tell you how cute you are. And, or maybe he's just a bobblehead, and he's like a good luck charm right there on the dashboard. And when you need something, he's there, but otherwise it's, you don't necessarily have to engage with him. And all those are stupid and silly. But we all create Jesus in our own image at times. And again, it can be difficult to really... Uh, to, to begin to engage with the fullness of who he is, particularly if you're not reading the New Testament. So I just want to challenge you this week with a couple of things. One, I want you to read Colossians. It's only four chapters. If that's too much, just read chapter 1. And if that's too much, just read verses 16 to 20. It's four verses. That's it. And if you can't do that, I really don't know what to say to you. Four verses. Read Colossians, the whole book, chapter 1 is really good. It begins to paint a picture of who Jesus is. And then, I would also encourage you to read Revelation. Don't worry about the dragons, the seals, the bowls, the plagues. Just push all that to the side. There's pictures of who Jesus is in Revelation that you don't see anywhere else in the Bible because it's Jesus glorified. And we don't see that anywhere else you got to get through all the other stuff that's so confusing that we focus on. Don't worry about the mark of the beast or any of that. We'll talk about, we'll actually do Revelation after we do John. So we'll dig into all that later. What I want you to do is just focus on the descriptions of Jesus in that book. And see if that begins to fill out your picture of who he is. Colossians, Revelation, just focusing on the descriptions of Jesus. And see, again, if that, that, that's, that's data. That's truth that we need. And that begins, and then we kind of hold our picture of who he is up to this picture that's revealed in the Bible. And the places where there are discrepancies, what we want to do is we don't want to throw rocks, which is what the Jews did. 
Jesus didn't match their image or their preconception of who the Messiah would be. So rather than say, hey, we may be wrong about this, they decided to stone him. And we don't literally stone him. What we do is we just ignore him. That's what we do. We just ignore and we kind of go on with our day. And I would encourage you that in those places where there's some tension between maybe who you see Jesus to be and who the Bible reveals him to be is be willing to let go of your conceptions and allow the Bible to form and shape your image of who he is. And I'll leave you with two specific. There's so many things that we can say about Jesus, but it's too much for one Sunday. So just two. And they both come from the same passage in Colossians. It's actually the same word. It can be translated two different ways, cornerstone and capstone. So the cornerstone is the first brick. It's the first stone that you lay down in a foundation, and everything else is based on that stone. So I can, it's a reference point is what it is. It's a reference point. So Jesus is a reference point. And so the question is then, well, is Jesus my reference point? Not just for spiritual matters or moral matters, but in every area of my life is Jesus my reference point. And so maybe you could ask yourself a few questions. Do you tend to decide what's right? Is that up to you? Do you tend to look to other people to tell you what's right? Is it up to them? Or do you tend to look to Jesus to determine what's right? Does he get to to determine what's right and what's good? Does he get to even determine what success is in your life, in every area of your life? Or do you get to decide that? What's the reference point for you? Is it him or is it someone or something else? Is he your cornerstone? There's freedom. That can be scary. But there's actual, there's freedom in Jesus being your cornerstone because then it means you don't have to decide what's right and nobody else gets to. He'll determine that for you. And there's a freedom in knowing. Jesus, Jesus is the evaluator. He's the plumb line for me. If things line up with him, then I'm good. And if they don't, then I'm not. And it really doesn't matter what I think or what I feel or what other people think or what they feel. What matters is what Jesus has said because he's the cornerstone. He is my reference point. He's the first brick that gets laid down when it comes to my money, when it comes to my time, when it comes to my family, when it comes to my future, when it comes to my career. He's the first brick that gets laid down. And everything else has to refer back to that brick to see if it's level and if it's plumb. Is he your cornerstone? Same word can be translated capstone. A capstone is the last stone that you put in an arch, and it locks all the other stones in together and allows the arch to bear weight. So without a capstone, an arch crumbles. There's just a bunch of rocks on the ground. Is Jesus your capstone? I think about that in a couple of ways, too. When you think about your life, do you think about a bunch of random relationships and roles and circumstances? Or when you think about your life, Do you think about a a unified, coherent, cohesive whole? If you see your life as as random, then Jesus is probably not your capstone. If you can't see how the pieces fit together, then Jesus is probably not your capstone. Because in your mind, your life is not a unified whole. There's nothing holding all of it together. I have work me, and I have home me, and I have, you know, these different roles that I play, and I don't know, there's no overlap. There's no thread that runs through them. Or maybe you're someone who you feel like it's your job to provide the thread for all of those different things, and so you spend a lot of your time, and if this is you, you get it, you spend all your time doing this, 
you're trying to hold it all together, all the different pieces. That's your responsibility and your job, and so you're tired all the time, at least internally. Then Jesus may not be your capstone. You may see yourself as the capstone in your life. And there's freedom from saying, you know, that's Jesus' job, and I don't have to do it. And there's a great amount of freedom in saying my life is not a series of random encounters and relationships and roles. My life is unified in him. And he brings purpose and meaning to everything that I do and in every place that I do those things. So as we close, three questions. Is Jesus your Savior? Are you trusting him to forgive you of the penalty and the power of sin? Is Jesus your cornerstone? Is he the reference point? In every area of your life, not just the moral and the spiritual. Is he the one that decides what's good and what's right for you? And is Jesus the capstone? Is he the one that holds all of your life together? All of the different hats that you wear, all of the different circles that you run in. Is he the one that brings all of those things together as a unified whole? Let's take a few minutes and pray, if we can, Bo, come back up and... Lead us in some ministry. We'll have teams up here to pray with you, and we'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. If you came in with a need, then we certainly want you to be able to address that. If you're sick, we want to pray for you to be healed. Maybe you need some direction or encouragement, we'll pray for the Lord to speak to you. But specifically thinking about what we shared today, those three questions. Is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your cornerstone? Is Jesus your capstone? Let's take a minute and pray as we uh, go back into worship and ministry. Holy Spirit, I pray that, and maybe in your own heart, if you're willing to, you can just uh, agree with this prayer. Pray it in your own words. I pray that you would show us, show me, the places where my picture of who Jesus is doesn't line up with reality. The places where I've created him in my own image, maybe I've kind of grabbed on to some pop culture notion of who Jesus is, and it's just not true. So Holy Spirit, would you the one who guides us into all truth, bring conviction into our hearts. And your responsibility there, it's just to surrender. The Holy Spirit will guide you into the truth. Your job is just to surrender. You don't want to throw rocks. You want to submit. And so in your own heart, you can say that, God, I'm willing to submit in the places where I'm missing it. And I may be missing it out of ignorance. I may be missing it out of arrogance. But the places where I'm missing it, I want to submit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal Jesus to me, and then you can pick one. I pray that you would reveal Jesus to me as my Savior, the one who sets me free, not just from the penalty of sin, which is death, but also the power of sin, this compulsion to choose my own way. Holy Spirit, I pray you would reveal Jesus to me as a cornerstone, as a reference point in every area of my life. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal, or Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal Jesus to me as a capstone, the one who holds all of my life together. And I want to yield, I want to surrender to him as that today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show each of us as we leave this place, what, it, what does it mean to follow Jesus as Savior, as cornerstone, and as capstone? Give us grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking specifically, again, this, you, you come forward as you will, specifically maybe two kinds of people. One, if you struggle with what's right, if that's hard for you, 
you spend a lot of time unsure of the decisions that you make. I don't know if this was the right thing. I don't know if this was the right thing. You second guess yourself a lot. It could be that Jesus isn't your cornerstone, that you don't recognize he's the reference point, and so you're basically be becoming your own reference point or trying to find another external one, and that can, that can wear you out. And so we want to pray for you if that's you. And also, again, if you're someone who spends a lot of your time doing this, trying to get your arms around everything, trying to hold everything together, we want to pray for you that Jesus would become your capstone and that you would be set free from that burden. Because honestly, you can't, it's not yours to carry. It's not yours to carry, and it'll wear you out trying to do his job. So you guys can stand. Ministry teams, you guys can come forward if you will. We'll pray with you however you feel um, led, and then uh, Bo will dismiss us in a couple of minutes.